Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news pretty much exclusively from the United States, although there's also some United Kingdom in there too, as well as a see you in hell that's the celebration of a dead fascist from the United Kingdom. Starting out in the United States, like I said, it's mostly the United States this episode, just a lot of terrible shit happened in the U.S. this week. Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump have been subpoenaed by the grand jury that is being held by the federal government regarding the activities of the Trump administration on January 6th, their attempted coup in 2021. This is an indication that the grand jury doesn't seem to be holding out anybody away from being subpoenaed by this. Ivanka Trump is, of course, a member of Donald Trump's family, and she and her husband, Jared Kushner, was deeply involved in the Trump administration. They were physically next to Donald Trump for a lot of the time on the day of January 6th, and all indications seem to show that they thought that January 6th was probably not the best idea. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly how their testimony relates to all of this. Previous high-profile candidates who have been subpoenaed by the organization include former Vice President Mike Pence, and so it's going to be really curious to see how this all shakes out. There was a call for a, quote, day of hate this weekend on February 24th. Nazi and other anti-Semitic organizations called for the mass distribution of fascist and anti-Semitic materials, specifically to have them delivered at synagogues, other Jewish organizations, and the homes of prominent or popular Jewish people. Some of this did happen, but also the backlash was so extensive that it really uh, fired back against them. Rupert Murdoch, the founder of Fox News, has apparently acknowledged in a major defamation lawsuit brought against Fox News by Dominion Voting Systems that the Fox News network lied extensively about the election in 2020. Now, this defamation lawsuit being brought by Dominion Voting Systems against Fox News regards the fact that the network apparently knowingly spread falsehoods about the integrity of the election systems that Dominion Voting produces. So Dominion Voting is one of the biggest contractors for the United States federal government and for various state and local governments providing voting machines, right? And so Fox News was saying that all of these machines were faulty and whatever. Dominion Voting has sued Fox News, and it seems like the executives of Fox News are acknowledging in that defamation lawsuit, they're acknowledging openly that they just lied. And their interesting information coming out of that defamation lawsuit include the fact that Murdoch admits that he fed the aforementioned Jared Kushner proprietary, like, private information about the Biden administration or the Biden campaign's plans in the 2020 election, that he fed that to the Trump administration. Like, so this is a leading media figure admitting in court that he helped the sitting administration, the sitting right-wing administration, in an extremely pivotal election ahead of their attempted coup. The weapons company Smith & Wesson advertised on their Twitter account a, quote, tactical athlete uh, set of apparel. They showed a person carrying a big old assault rifle and, you know, a pistol and a bunch of other crap. And it featured a person wearing a shirt with a yellow PB logo. Now, for those of you who have been listening to this podcast or who are paying attention to right-wing news in general, PB obviously stands for the Proud Boys. And of course, that's especially the case when it is yellow because that is the Uh, signature color of the Proud Boys, sort of a yellow and black or yellow and extremely dark blue, something like that. 
Now, Smith & Wesson has later tried to clarify this and said that, no, actually, it's not the Proud Boys, that PB stands for Perception Brand, which is a company that makes anti-vax hoodies and anti-California bumper stickers. So, you know, as if that was like a defense, right? Although, obviously, they were playing off of the similarity between their brand and the Proud Boys brand. The Tennessee Republicans are trying to ban drag performance entirely. The law that they're trying to pass says that drag performance could be banned, quote, anywhere that they could be seen by a person who is not an adult. Now, they claim that this is an attempt to confine drag performances to private clubs and bars, but what it really means is that it could conceivably mean prosecuting anybody who is dressed non-normatively anywhere in public, as long as it is possible for the prosecution in a relatively conservative state to claim that that person is, you know, performing in this non-normative way. This is part of an alarming and increasing level of persecution against drag shows and drag performers in general as the spearhead of a right-wing culture war against queer culture and the acceptance of queer people, and especially in particular, transgenderism. That brings us to my next story, which is that the governor of Mississippi, an extremely conservative state in the United States, has passed a bill which bans gender-affirming care for minors. Mississippi thus becomes the seventh state in the United States to do so. Now, this is remarkable in and of itself, right? This is a state that is saying that people who are transgender and are minors are incapable of receiving any care whatsoever about it. And we're not just talking about hormones or any type of surgery or anything like that. We're talking about, like, therapy. We're talking about, like, talking group therapy here. Those things are now banned in the state of Mississippi. The interesting thing is that the governor of Mississippi invited a person named Matt Walsh to speak about this. Now, if you haven't heard of Matt Walsh, you're lucky. But unfortunately, you're listening to a podcast about fascism. So here we go. Matt Walsh is an extremely prominent sort of like dad influencer type person. He is a middle-aged white man in the United States, and his brand is supposed to be sort of like a, you know, like more of an everyman Ben Shapiro. He's got the same shitty politics as Ben Shapiro, but he talks more plainly and is more of a jackass as opposed to like somebody who you would see at an Oxford debating society, right? Matt Walsh's Twitter says that he is a theocratic fascist. Uh, That is supposed to be a joke, but it's not exactly a joke. He believes in, you know, white Western Christian civilization, and he believes that it needs to be promoted. That's his perspective. He is throwing down huge for anti-trans and anti-queer legislation and policies in the United States. He is a big, big proponent of this narrative that gender-affirming care or accepting queerness in youth or accepting transness in youth is child abuse or child mutilation. You know, he's really trying to promote that narrative. And so his being invited by a governor to speak at this event is an indication of his influence and the fact that he is being extremely successful in his attempt to promote this ideology. Speaking of attempts to promote major ideologies in the United States, CPAC is happening this weekend in Washington, D.C. CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee, is an extremely important event in conservatism in the United States. It dates back to the 1980s, when it was a sort of like king-making event on the right wing in the United States. So it got its start, you know, cementing the Christian right-wing coalition that brought people like Ronald Reagan or George W. Bush to power. 
and it has now become the seat, the heart of the Trump administration's takeover of the Republican Party. Donald Trump will be there, of course, along with Kari Lake and some other sort of Trump loyalists, people who have always been in the Trump camp. But the interesting thing is that a lot of other conservatives are skipping the event. And a lot of these conservatives are people who are, you know, interested in testing the power of Donald Trump over the Republican Party. Not that they aren't extreme right-wing figures themselves. You know, the most prominent person who is skipping CPEC in this case is Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and probably Trump's biggest challenger when it comes to power in the GOP. DeSantis and Trump's politics are not entirely different, right? DeSantis is also sort of, quote-unquote, anti-woke and anti-queer and anti-critical uh, race theory and all that sort of stuff, right? He has exactly the same policies that Trump has on those issues, but he's trying to see if the party can get behind him instead of Donald Trump when it comes to their extreme right politics. This means that this CPAC that's happening this weekend is going to be a kind of make or break moment for Donald Trump. It'll show whether or not he's got the momentum inside of the party to stay afloat, to stay the leader of the party, or if he's going to have to really fight. And frankly, the question is whether or not he's got that fight in him. He seems quite tired. He is not as good on stage as he used to be, certainly not as good as he was in 2016. He's just older now. And also his brand, his, his persona has been tarnished by his failures in 2020. And a lot of Republicans who liked him back in 2016 don't anymore because, you know, he attempted a coup. Incidentally, the former president of Brazil will join the former president of the United States at this CPAC. Jair Bolsonaro will be with Donald Trump at CPAC in Washington, D.C. He is still in the United States, but claims that he's going to be going back to Brazil later in March. But, you know, he's been kicking that can around and saying that he'll be going back now, but then he's going to be going back later, whatever. We, we, we can't exactly trust the guy. It's extremely likely that they will talk about the problems, quote unquote, the problems that the left poses in each of their countries. Moving on to a bit of news in the United Kingdom, a member of the UK organization Patriotic Alternative, which is a branch off of the BNP, the British National Party, has been convicted of sharing extremist manifestos including Andrews Breivik's manifesto, Andrews Breivik being the person who committed a major massacre in Scandinavia, and Brenton Tarrant, the person who committed the major massacres at the mosques in Christchurch. Now, the person in the UK Patriotic Alternative who's been convicted of sharing their manifestos went online by the name of, quote, Charlie Big Potatoes. He was a sort of male-oriented fitness influencer, right-wing type figure, you know, the, the sort of person that that character that the wrestler plays in Glass Onion is supposed to be a parody of, right, that kind of guy. His legal name is Christopher Thomas Kearney, and he is apparently the first person in Patriotic Alternative to be convicted of this kind of terrorist activity in the United Kingdom. Finally, I want to make a historical note. This week is the anniversary, the 90th anniversary of the Reichstag fire. The Reichstag is the building where the lower house of Germany's parliament meets. And this is one of the events that the Nazi party used as a precedent in order to explain their need for a state of emergency. The need for Adolf Hitler, the newly elected or slash appointed chancellor of Germany to assume emergency powers in order to suspend democratic governance in Germany and take Germany into a Nazi dictatorial state. So this is one of the most important dates 
in the history of fascism. It is a date that really explicitly denotes the transition between fascism's supposed democratic phase when they were trying to win elections through a combination of electoral democracy and extrajudicial violence and their just full embrace of total dictatorial power. Finally, I'm going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history, except that I'm sorry to tell you that this week we are not talking about a dead fascist. This one is unfortunately alive. We're talking about Nick Griffin, the former leader of the British National Party and a former member of the European Parliament. Nick Griffin was born this week in history, March 1st, 1959, in North London. His family then later moved out of the city. He was an early right-wing radical. He supposedly read Mein Kampf when he was a teenager. And he joined the National Front, the leading right-wing group in Britain in the 1970s, when he was a young boy at 74. He had to lie about his age to do so. He was just one year too young to join the organization. He attended college and was a boxer and a debater, and was eventually exposed as a fascist in one of these debates. After college, he went on to work for the National Front as a teen, and then by 1978, he was on their national organizing team. He worked specifically toward the popularization of right power skinhead music and other like movement forms in order to popularize right power ideology in the United Kingdom. Now, in the 1980s, the National Front fell out of favor due to massive conservative power, right? The conservatives were dominant and labor was really, really much uh, receding in the United Kingdom. And so people's tolerance and interest for extreme right-wing politics had declined. That meant that Griffin sort of left politics. He was doing some small-time moves until the 1990s when he joined the newly formed British National Party created by its leader, John Tyndall. John Tyndall had invited him to join. Now, Griffin became the leader of several of their magazines and other publications, essentially being one of their chief propagandists. His central goal as the chief propagandist for the BNP was to make their movement palatable, right? That was the center point of his career. He said, quote, that he wanted to ban the three H's, hobbyism, hard talk, and Hitler. As in, he didn't want any weekend warriors in the party, he didn't want any swears and racial slurs to be part of their open outward messaging, and he didn't want Nazism to be a central part of the party. He wanted it to be a respectable, relatable, extreme right-wing organization, and he kind of got his wish. Additionally, during his career, he also faced several criminal charges against him for actually uh, spreading racial violence and using racial hate speech. The BNP eventually did get some successes, not in the British Parliament, but in the European Parliament in the mid-2010s. Griffin took one of the party's two seats in the European Parliament. This was the high point of his career and also the BNP's career. He's been on the decline ever since. He lost his EU seat uh, before the United Kingdom lost the European Union. And now that they're out, there really isn't much of a place for him to go. The BNP is seriously on the decline in the United Kingdom in much the same way that all of those sort of older 1990s, 1980s dinosaur right-wing organizations have now been superseded by extremely online organizing forms of the right-wing. So, Nick Griffin, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. 
check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you next week.